hello, hello. Yeah, this is Lost 40 Day Drinker. He's, I've, I've heard it, you know, everybody tossing around, but I've yet to have it. That, uh, was it the Blackberry? Sh- the Blackberry Bramble? Bramble yeah. Oh, man. That was awesome. It's one of my favorites. But this one, he said, oh, day, day drinks, it's like noon, so day drinker and Lost 40. It's delicious. Right on. Thank you. Yeah, the Blackberry one is my all-time, I think, from them. It's such a unique. It's it, different for sure. It's that aftertaste for yeah. me. That after hit. All right. So I have to say, I get a little intro out of the way, but today's guest is Fletcher, the man himself. And I'm super honored, sir. Thank you for being here. Uh, (laughs) Thank you. We go about two decades backwards. God, really? Yeah. (laughs) But I wanted to start by uh, my favorite part of our, you know, uh, uh, music scene, uh, goings on is uh way way back when when i was just a young lad <laughs> and uh you were the you were the guy at vino's the guy yeah if you want to play vino's you reach out to fletcher and i'm always afraid it's going to be on my tombstone like you know here lies fletcher from vino's <laughs> uh well for me that's the that's my favorite part because when you're young and you're stupid and you think you're hot shit i did too yeah <laughs> me too yeah and uh those forces definitely clash but i it takes a long time to respect a few, you know, certain aspects of the music industry because when you're young and you're headstrong and nobody can tell you otherwise, uh, you were definitely a force that was always like, I don't give a fuck who you think you are. And you had this thing called, uh, it was fresh blood. Right. And I don't know if that was your doing or not, but when I came around, that was, you had to do that first. And if you didn't, basically i guess live up to your own hype you guess what we had to do it again (laughs) right and you know at the time when you're young it was like dude we're the best like he doesn't know and then they're like well we gotta do this again man this that and the other and it's as the years go by i'm like i actually wanted to say thank you because what it actually did was prove that we needed to go back to our garage and keep on trying and be better and even though it was like kind of out of spite at the time, now it's every band since then. I take that perspective and I'm like, no, we have to be a hundred percent right out the gate. Right. And that actually came from a lot of those early goings on and definitely being told, no, you have to do this again. Like it like lit some weird fire where I was just like, determination is the key. Like I have to be better. Yeah. People only know what they know. And if, if they set their gear up a certain way and that's how they practice and their girlfriends tell them how great they are uh-huh. and they got the songs down and, and their, their parents and brothers and sisters, everybody says, man, you guys are just, you know, amazing. And, and they, and they feel that way. And then you watch them set their gear up on stage in a real club. And it's like, gentlemen, uh, yeah. move the spread out. Yeah. You know, this isn't your practice space and, and what do you need in the monitors? And they'll say everything and you go, Oh man, <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> they really don't know what they're doing. And, and it's not like a, try to, you know, run them down or step on them, but it's also try to show you how it's done at a different level. And you could be the absolute best band in the world, but if nobody's going to pay to see it, it's hard to do something with it. That's right. I, and I've seen a lot of that. I'm sure you have seen it oh, time man. and time again. I've seen great bands that were signed and on labels and, you know, with the tour support and the video and the song on the radio and nobody comes to see it. Yep. And so it's even tougher if, you know, all you can draw is like three out of the five girlfriends and, know. you know, the fourth one's the manager. And right. it becomes more of a vanity project than, a you know, a, yep. a career or a moving forward type thing. 
Yeah, I've definitely played in front of just the bands and the girlfriends countless times. Yeah, the, the other bands, yeah. You know, you like sometimes, but you know, you need those too to like knock you down because sure. every now and then you'll get that good show. You'll be oh, like, yeah. oh, there was I, I, one of my favorite memories that you know is that only four times I ever felt like a rock star. You you actually threw the show and one of my first my first band ever was in. We sold it out. That you know, thank God for high school, <laughs> right? <laughs> we plastered it. We prepared for months. Like it was just one of those lightning in a bottle shows, and we were actually the opener. It wasn't even our show, and the headliner actually hated us. So, but when we got off stage and I came back in, it went from sold completely out to twenty six. Yep. And those are the moments where you get that big giant ego. Yeah. And but the very next show. One person, two people, you know, so you need those grounding moments to let you know, like maybe it was this one time and you can do better every time. You just have to put more focus into all the shows. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, that's true. Yeah, you do. The uh, the the head can swell so big. You think you're you're just, you know, words like sweet and bad and, all, you know, yeah. that you hear and, and people would call me on the phone, talk about how sweet and bad their band was and how they're going to pack the place and all that. And it's like. Okay, well, and then when they drew their girlfriends and one or two yep. moms or dads that didn't even want to pay to come in, and it's like, well, you know, you might pack your practice space and you pack your dreams, you know, right. and stuff like that. But, you know, it's a little different when it's a hard ticket and you want people to come at the right time and jump up and down at the right time and and do all that. The, a lot of times uh, smart touring bands will will be real wise to what's going on around them and be like, well, maybe, can, can we play first? Yeah, know, maybe can we play in the middle of the two local bands? Yeah, you know, so many people are uh, are are wound up about headlining. And when I was working at the Troubadour Troubadour out in Los Angeles, I started hearing conversations between bands. It's like one night the guys in Far and the guys in Man Will Surrender were having a knockdown drag out argument in one of the dressing rooms about we're not playing last. <laughs> and it's like a Friday night or a Saturday night. It's Los Angeles and the weekend, and you're thinking, and they're like, uh, uh-uh, uh, we're not, uh, uh-uh, uh, no, 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 no. And I and I sat there and listened and the argument boiled down to, you know, you've got your opener, you've got your support, you got your headliner, and then you got your closer mm-hmm. and your closer is also your walkout band. Right. What they, what they call the walkout band. And so, you know, in particularly in a place like Los Angeles where you've got a, a you know, part of the, the music industry juggernaut working there, nobody wants to play late and no. nobody really wants to play late on weekends for sure. Because, you know, the, the music industry people, the A&R guys, the people who are out there signing bands and checking bands out, they're not going to give up their weekend. Yeah, you know, no, exactly. They're going to yeah. they're going to want to get off work around 5, 5:30 whatever and stop by the Troubadour on their way home and have a couple of drinks and see a band and that's right. you, you got to try to tailor it to them. Trying to get them out at 11 o'clock on a Friday night or Saturday night. Yeah. Screw that. They're not doing it. They already did their job. They yeah, yeah they, they, they've, they've been working all week long right. listening to music, watching bands, doing all that sort of thing and then the weekend they want to bug out with their wife and kids and do all that stuff and so the the whole thing about, you know, headlining and and you know, man, let them headline. Let whoever wants to play to the the walkout crowd or right. or whatever. And so I, I I tried to bring a little bit of that back with me when I moved back and and instill that in some bands. Like, don't be so messed up about headlining. Play to where the most people are going to play. Right. You know? Oh, no, that's actually uh, – it's hilarious to throw it all back. But my – I have one band that we love to headline because we we actually just like – we like the performance aspect of being the headliner and like going all out. But sure. I have this other band, and when we sat down and talked about what's this band going to be like, and we're trying to figure stuff out, and I was like, guys, I want to be the best opening act the world ever saw. Make them follow you. That's it. Yeah. And we – 
almost exclusively. Sometimes people are like, dude, please head nine. I'm like, ah, oh, okay. I don't really want to in this band, but that's fine. But almost all the shows we play were the opening act, and I I love it. Well, there's those bands out there that you know they've made kind of names for themselves for being kicked off of tours or you know yeah. not not allowed to play with this band again because that band did not like the way you just destroyed the the crowd and the room and the stage. Yeah, and then they had to get up there and follow it. And that can, that can be kind of tough. You know, bands like Jane's Addiction when they first came out, people were like, I don't want. They're not. Uh, I don't want to play with those guys. <laughs> really? Because it was different. It was. Oh, it was. Fair. It was very, you know, it, it, it wasn't the Chili Peppers, and, and it wasn't Led Zeppelin. It was metal, but it wasn't, and it wasn't right. punk. And it, what the hell is Jane's Addiction? I don't know, but don't let them open up for you. This new thing. Cause, yeah, because they will blow the, clou- the crowd away. Then you'll have to come out there and do what people are used to. Oh, yeah. You know? and people, they see something they've never seen before, like, wow. You come, you know, come check this out. And they're, you know, getting excited. They're going closer to the stage and trying to really get a feel for it. And you got to go out there and follow that. And they already have your shirt and your, your record. Right. That's tough. I like I kind of I kind of miss the old approach, but I, I understand the new one too. You know, there's so much now, and there's so many ways to like promote and be heard, and and but with all those more, there's also it's less chance people are going to see you because of all the bombardment. You know, I get every single day. I'm sure you do too. Come to the show. Come to the show. It's a new show every night. You could be at Vino's or Juanita or not Juanita. Sorry, <laughs> oops. Uh, you know, rev room stickies, all these places, any night of the week and see something. And I just, I like, I like the older, maybe just cause I'm older. Uh, and that's how I learned how to come up. But that whole street, street savvy, get out there, push it, give it to real people with a real physical thing. Uh, I do like now the, I feel like the, the best physical aspect we have is the pre-sale ticket. If right. you can get that physical copy in someone's hand, you know, because my biggest thing right now is how do you figure out how to get people to spend $50 versus the $7 for Netflix for the whole month? Right. You know, and then we're talking one night. Yeah, a pre-sale ticket, there's a, a mental ownership kind of thing. Once you buy mm-hmm. it, it's like you have this and this is important. Don't forget about this. Put it put it on the, the bulletin board right. or uh, put it in, you know, don't put it in your wallet and lose it. You know, to die in there with all the rest of the condoms or whatever. Right. Stuck yeah. in there the years. Old but, business cards. And- yeah. <laughs> but but that, that mental ownership thing where you are now invested in a part of right. this event. And I used, to, I used to throw a lot of shows where I would just give it a name or something. Because if you can make people think it's, 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 it's this event, it's this singular thing. You know, you could take the same four bands that played last week, put them on three weeks from now and call it The Apocalypse in August. Ah, People are like, dude, have you heard? Are you going? Right. What? The Apocalypse in August. Oh my God, I got to check that out. Yeah. And it's the same four bands that played, you know, two or three weeks ago. But it seems more like an, an event, a singular thing that I got to be a part of. So making your shows more like the whole thing is like this own, its own monster. Mm-hmm. Market it as such. Yeah, this is not the same old $5 show. You know, right. This is a $6 show because it has a name and scary font and the poster is 11 and a half by 17 and not 8 by 10. And, right. You know, it's, just, right. it's that that little thing like that that can almost trick people into thinking like, oh, I got to go to, I got to go to the, are you going? I heard it's going to be cool. Yeah. <laughs> That's odd. Yeah, those, men- those little mental tricks, man. It's like, it's so hard to get, you know, it takes time to learn, but uh, I feel like, uh, nope. Well, I feel like it's up to the people though, but now you come off as an asshole and that's, I get that burden a lot. Like, oh, you're just an asshole. Like, yeah, sometimes I can be. Oh, I always have been. I, I, I've been one. I've been accused of it. I'm, I'm sure. I hope I still am. Right. Yeah. You know, worked work way too hard and invested too much time to, to not be one now. Yeah. But that, <laughs> that whole attitude, like, though I was pissed off at the time, now I look back and I just appreciate 
someone telling me, hey, you're not the hot shit you think you are. And maybe, just maybe, you need to fail a few times to realize it and then re re refocus what it is you're doing. And I've, I've, I've literally, like, I'm so excited that you're here. And I know I keep harping back to it, but it it's really did. It's a pleasure to be here, man. I really appreciate you asking me to come down. It really did set a standard for myself. And I kind of wish that was still around a little bit. Like, I kind of wish there was people saying, like, and it does still happen. I'm not saying no one does it, but it's kind of like, oh, you want a show? Okay, here's a show. Right. You know, used to you had to earn that show. Like, that time, so those Friday and Saturdays, especially before the internet, those were like the meat and potatoes of the whole thing. You know, you wanted that, I want to play Friday at Vino's or I want to play Saturday at old Juanita's, which back then was just Juanita's. And, you know, you have like these, you know, that was like the goal. It was a goal you had to play on a weekend at your favorite venue and, you know, blow it up and do all that stuff. But when you're young and dumb, you don't realize how much work that takes yeah, you, all, you, all you see is what's in front of you, and you go to the place to go see some band and, and that you enjoy, and you look up there, and you see them doing their thing, and you're having a great time, and everybody around you is having a great time, and you're like, that's what I want to do. Right. Where, you know, when, my my whole place in the whole thing is I would stand in a room like that and watch a band I love and watch everybody around, you know, eyes giant and their mouths hung open, uh-huh. and they're just and they're flat-footed on the floor just going, oh, my God. And I'm thinking, that's what I want to do. I want to be the guy that makes everybody do that. Yeah. I want to, I want to create this, like this singular experience for people that, you know, they never thought they'd have, they never thought they'd see that band in their town or mm-hmm. they never imagined that this or, or whatever it was, but I wanted to do that. And that's, it's like a, it's not a thankless type job, but you know, so many times people would come up to me and say things like, oh man, great show. Or thank you so much. I'm like, well, thank you. I hope it was. I didn't see it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was, I was over here. I was over here. I was doing this. I was, oh. you know, and I heard some of it from upstairs. Yep. You know, I could tell what song they were playing because of the kick drum beat against the wall where my chair was, <laughs> yeah. but I'm glad it worked out. Cause you know, I, I could step in the room just long enough to look around and tell whether or not I had accomplished that jaw dropping, eye popping thing. You're right. And that was like, then I felt like I'd done my job. Right. Yeah. The job of a promoter can be intense. I've done a few shows of my own and it's, it's always the day of is just oh yeah a nightmare yeah we call it the promoter sweat really <laughs> yeah, it's like but you know one in the afternoon it's like well, you okay like, yeah 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 well you're just really sweating <laughs> it's like yeah 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 I am it's the promoter sweat yeah kind of got a lot on the line here uh, haven't I'm still waiting on you know this band to show up mm-hmm. and these guys are going to be late and so and so supposed to bring you know a drum mic and it you know, it's just wasn't working out and you ever think it's funny because like most shows most work out. Mm-hmm. But it's hilarious, like, only every now and then will one not work out. and the, But you still, every time, for me, it's been every time. And granted, I haven't done the hundreds of shows like you have, but even the 50 or so I've put on in my life, every single time, even though they've all been pretty good, I've had a few stinkers, but, you know, pretty decent, it's still just, my nerves are just... Oh, yeah, and, and it could be just the, the littlest thing that could either make or break the show. I know. You know, you can accidentally, you know, wind up on the same night as some tournament lets the Razorbacks wind up playing at the same time. <laughs> right. Or something like that. Um, you know, last night I was I was doing the uh, – I do the broadcasting for the Little Rock Rangers soccer team. Okay. Anytime they're, they're doing a live stream from, from War Memorial, I'm the guy in the booth going, you know, <sighs> and he plays it through and you know, shot on goal and right. you know, I do all that. Well, they – they kicked off an hour after the Razorbacks threw the first pitch in the College World Series. Oh, God. 
and I was sitting there thinking, man, the crowd should just should be bigger. It just should be bigger. And then I, and I looked because I'm, I'm up in the press box thing and, I'm, and I looked through like all the glass window things on both sides mm-hmm. and, and I saw the game on the TV and I was like, oh, yeah. And there's no way when they booked and, and scheduled their soccer games, you know, for their season in the NPSL that they knew that the Razorbacks would make it to Omaha. And if they did, they would be the number of whatever seed that would put right. them on right at that time. And it's just like you have no control over stuff like right. that. Right. Any more than you do over rain, you know, acts of God, force majeure, all that stuff. You know, I, I had a show one time where I, I did a tray you at a skate park, you know, down there by Juanita's on Main Street. Oh, dude. And I had to do it there because was I Was it Ferguson's? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was uh, Judd Ferguson. Uh, I had Lucero at Vino's that night. And it was oh like, well, God, God, I got to figure this out because I want to do both shows, but I, I'm not, I can't bump Lucero. Right. You know, that's, no. that's as a home run as it comes and not just for the door, but at the bar and at the, you know, everybody makes money right. and it keeps the, the place going and the rent gets paid and all that. But, uh, but at Tregu, I knew was going to be important and I had to keep my relationship with the agent and I had to make sure that this thing happened. So I just all of a sudden figured out, you know, well, Damn, Judd just opened up a skate park and he's mm-hmm. got like, you know, 10,000 square feet. So what if we, mm, so I went and talked to him and he wasn't really into it at first, but he was also n- new enough and needed some exposure. And it's like, I'm going to put a few hundred kids in here that, hell, most of them probably don't skate. Right. But they're going to, you know, know, about, know about your place and they'll be walking and talking Ferguson Skate Park when they when they leave. Especially when they say, I saw a tray you at, boom, right. and there it is. And, and it was one of those weird things where it's, it, it snowed and iced and all this kind of stuff. And I'm thinking, oh, oh man, God. nobody's coming. Oh but they did. Oh, really? But they did. People showed up. People came out. They 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 slugged their way through it all. And it was, I mean, it was well attended. Lucero was well attended. And it's one of those things where it could have been the difference of, I don't know, like a few degrees. Right. <laughs> you know, right. if it had been 31 and not 35, yeah, they wouldn't have been able to do it. Yeah, because everything would have stuck and the roads right. would have been just... And it, and it was nighttime and the black ice and everybody uh-huh. gets all weirded out and stuff. And, the, and with all ages shows, uh, specifically, you have to worry about, it. are the parents going to drop them off? Right. What about the one dad that's going to drive everybody? And right. All that stuff. Especially and, the Atreyu fan base back then. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, they they were the black fingernail polished crowd for sure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They needed to be dropped off. Yeah. Don't, don't let them drive. <laughs> yeah. No, I've been dropped off at lots of shows. <laughs> I, I didn't even know if Atreyu played there. That's awesome. Yeah, did it was you, a very cool show. Did you host any more shows there? Or was that like a thing Judd took on? or did That was the one show we did there. Really? Yeah, he wasn't... Wasn't too keen on it? It just, it just, it wasn't his thing. Gotcha. I mean, it'd be like somebody coming to me and go, hey, we want to have a skateboard contest inside Vino's. What? <laughs> really? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I probably would have been just as suspicious. Right, right. We'll let it happen once and the first kid who breaks his arm never again. Right. Yeah. But, but, but what a neat kind of, you know, one-off singular little... Things like man, and, I was at that show, and that band went on to be massive. Yeah, I think they just dropped a new record, didn't they? I think so. I got to play with them. Well, I didn't. My band did. Uh, my uh, I was at a funeral, so it's kind of ironic. Wow. Uh, but still, I I mean, I've seen them play a, a handful of times. I like a tray you there. I do too. They kick ass. I like the way they didn't let themselves get defined by you know the early uh, crowd, the early the early, early tours they did. Yeah. They, you know, they were definitely part of the hot topicization of rock and roll at the time. Yeah. But but they kind of, I don't know, that one record, uh, was it the something about the, the bull something or the uh, lead sales and paper? Oh, yeah. Paper anchors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they had the song on there that sounded just like Slayer. <laughs> it was yeah. like, no, 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 yep. no, no, no. It's just like Slayer, which before, you know, they kind of sounded like, I don't know, they had, these, they had these like cool, like raw, 
ah kind of verses. They get to the chorus, and it sounded like Winger, some eighties pop metal. Yeah, you ooh ah kind of chorus. Yeah, their drummer can sing like a motherfucker. Yeah, yeah. I'm that surprised he hasn't blown done, his voice out. <laughs> well, or done his own kind of oh like, side project. Yeah, like like yeah. the kid from Under Oath. You know, he had that the the one band. You know, the almost. He, he can sing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The almost. Yeah, that is surprising actually, because he can sing unreal. He, he can really sing, and he's incredibly friendly. Oh yeah, yeah. I. uh I had the honor to eat lunch with him one time, and it was just me. You know how these big bands come through, and they have the catering. They have the giant tent. You just oh, kind of yeah. go and show up. And I was on a run the whole time, and I come back, and I'm sitting there alone. And you know him being him, him, he comes through the line, and I'm the only guy in there. And so instead of sitting by himself, he comes over. Hey, what's up, man? And I was like, that's really fucking cool, dude. I was not expecting that. And then just you know, ate a falafel and talked to the trade guy and then went back to work. <laughs> I was at the Milwaukee Metal Fest one time. I was traveling with Living Sacrifice when I managed them and they were playing up there. And uh, it was the year that there was a tour out that had like DRI, TSOL, The Business. It had like all these old punk rockers, like dudes, wow. old, dudes older than me. And I'm 50 years old right now. Right. But guys older than me. And I, and I went to the catering thing mm-hmm. and I'm going through the line, I'm getting all my stuff. And I looked around and there's like all the people sitting around. And then there's like this one table of dudes that look like my uncles and stuff. <laughs> and so I just went and I sat down over there and, and, and they kind of, you know, took me in there like, oh, right. Yeah. 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 You, uh, you, when your kids play or something like yeah. that. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm just uh, trying to make a dollar. <laughs> yep. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Those, those long 23 hour days and, Here's your 50 bucks, kid. Thanks, sir. If you're, if you're lucky to get that, there have been many, many times in my life where I was up at the crack of dawn to get the place ready by nine to have the loaders there by 10. Yeah. And then you don't leave until you've loaded the band out at like 2 a.m. the next day. At least. And you're home by three. And it's like, wow, I just pulled a 21 hour day. Yeah. And I have to be back at. <laughs> yeah, literally right back at work. Yeah. I, I did that. Pulled an all nighter at a dance rave thingy drove a, <laughs> is, drove, is that the international yeah, dance the international rave da- yeah. sign. <laughs> i'm like bounce what's the one where they bounce up and down uh oh, it's the one they blow the whistle yeah yeah and then i go to uh somewhere way up north and then i do a whole show there and then i drive all the way back it was almost in missouri and then i drive all the way back home so it was like three full days and i think i walked away with like 200 dollars Look, you got back, man. You get up there in Missouri and some of them places look like those Jeepers Creepers towns, you know. Dude, where... it wasn't a Jeepers Creepers yeah. town. It was terrifying. <laughs> I was like, Dad, can we never come here again? Like, you just ever? drive down the interstate in Missouri and look on the left and the right. And it's like, oh, man, <laughs> I think that was the Jeepers Creepers house. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Pretty sure serial killers live right there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so so you're, you said you're 50 now? Oh, yeah. Turned 50 in December. Well, let's time travel a little bit. How did all? How did you get into this? I know you came from California, correct? Well, I lived in uh, I lived out in Los Angeles for four years, but I'm I'm from Little Rock. Oh, okay. Um, I was going to Memphis State over in Memphis. This is back when the Antenna Club was still open. The Antenna Club was like the kind of stop in the mid south back in the '80s for alternative music. You could play the Masquerade in Atlanta. You could play whatever you could find in like Dallas or Austin or whatever. And there was St. Louis and New Orleans, but it was just kind of this dead zone here. And the Antenna Club being uh easy to access either on 55 or 40 mm-hmm. wound up catching a ton of shows i mean they lost money on rem three or four times before rem ever hit oh wow you know, they, they were the little place in the middle of nowhere to do to do wow. to, to, to do a show back then yeah. i mean they i mean wow i mean every, everybody and their dog played there back in the day um and so i'm in memphis and, and going to memphis state out of high school is one of the one of the reasons i went was because of the antenna club when i was in high school i saw 
Black Flag, the Circle Jerks, UK Subs, the Exploited, a lot of the UK punk stuff because it wow. that's the only place it could play. And Memphis was close enough where I could tell my mom I'm going to the UALR Research Library <laughs> yeah. and I'm going to study because I have this thing I'm going to do. <laughs> Because the Ollie just shows in Memphis, they would they would run two shows in one night. They'd have an Ollie just show where the doors are at six, yep. and then they would have the twenty one and up show. And the doors are at After, nine, right? Yeah, and they would just clear the place out in about ten minutes. You know, get the fuck out. Mm-hmm. And so I would, you know, hop in a car, and boom, a couple hours later, I'm in the Antenna Club watching the Circle Jerks or wow. whoever, and then I'm back home in time, you know, and and it's literally in time to do whatever and get in bed and go to right. school the next day. So it's one of the reasons I went to Memphis State was because of the Antenna Club. And I'm I'm there and a buddy of mine from Little Rock that I'd gone to Catholic High with named Tim Lamb. He was he was doing a fanzine called Lighten Up. And it was literally the first fanzine I'd ever it was definitely the first fanzine around here. And right. and the, probably one of the first ones, if not the first one I'd ever seen. And it was literally, you know, newsprint, Kinkos, cut and paste, uh-huh. Xerox, put it together, stapled kind of thing. And uh and he did it all himself. He did it all himself. Wow. And we played soccer together. And so I think I showed up at soccer practice one day in high school and I had, I don't know, it was like some silly hair British new wave band shirt, like ABC or, or right. You know, some, <laughs> some, some band like skinny tie band. Okay. And, and he was like, Oh, you're into that. I was like, Oh, well, you know, I didn't know if it was a good point or a bad point when he pointed to me i'm like well yeah kind of and he's like oh well have you heard and i realized well he's he's into this too he's, he's kind of knowledgeable and first time i ever you know went to his house and saw his record collection i was just absolutely floored <laughs> not just because of how cool the stuff i had heard of that he had was but just the sheer amount of stuff i'd never heard of oh yeah and you know i'm flipping through it and as i'm flipping through it he would just stop and go oh you'd like that because da 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 and he started i started getting this you know kind of education this oral history of of what this guy knew about punk rock new wave you yeah know, and this is 80 85 wow you know something I was like that. a year old <laughs> oh, yeah fuck you <laughs> and so i'm in memphis and and tim's in little rock and he he starts giving people my phone number and like he's he's interviewing bands like Dag Nasty, Government Issue, uh, you know Fugazi bands that are coming through. That right. He, that he's you know like he's he's going to Fayetteville and interviewing them, or going to Dallas and interviewing right. them because yeah. they're not coming to Little Rock. No, because there wasn't anything, there wasn't no place to to play. I mean the the old SOBs did did Black Flag, Dead Milkmen, and then I think they closed shortly thereafter and became the Spaghetti Warehouse and now the new Clinton Library. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's uh, basically Black Flag played at the Clinton Library. Wow. <laughs> that's kind of cool. That is kind of cool. But so Tim starts giving people my phone number in Memphis as someone to call who can tell you who to call. Okay. So it's like, you know, you call, call Fletcher and he can tell you, he can point you in the right direction. Oh. And so, you know, I'm going to the Antenna Club as as a resident of Memphis and going to see shows and everything. And uh, I don't know how he knew my name, but Steve McGee, the owner of the Antenna Club, one, one night I'm in there and I had a fake ID. Nice. I said I was Steve Laster, who went to Hall High. Steve, if you're out there, hey. Um, and it, this is back before everything's computerized, and you can just you're take right. somebody's uh, birth certificate right. and like a report card from college or something. Yeah, and this, this thing this was just me. laminated too. They weren't these printed IDs that are fancy with all. Oh the holograms. no, there weren't six layers of holograms no. or any of that stuff. No. <laughs> and and everybody I knew had like a fake ID where they were taking 0.8 Helvetica stencil and going over their ID and then relaminating over the top of that, mm-hmm. or doing that thing where they took the cardboard cutout piece of thing and right. then stood underneath it on a white yep. wall and took yep. a picture and all of them looked so bad and I had a real one 
So I could go anywhere. I bought beer at a Circle K next to a cop one night. Thought it was the coolest thing ever. That's pretty awesome. It's like, I'm 19 years old. Watch this. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, hold my beer? No. I'm going to go get some beers to hold. And so I'm going to the Antenna Club anytime I want. And so the guy, he knows he knows my face. He doesn't know that my name's Fletcher. But he finally puts two and two together one time. And he's like, hey, did you tell, you know, the fuck sticks to call me? And I'm like, um... I don't know, maybe kind of. Yeah, I think I did. It's like, well, do you think anybody will come see him? And I'm like, well, yeah, they're, they're, yeah, definitely. It's like, huh, okay. Well, who should open up for him? I'd be like, oh, I don't know, sobering consequences, private war, you Uh know, raid, whatever Memphis band was appropriate for whoever he was asking. And he'd like, well, you got their number? I'd be like, well, I I know that one guy in that band. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I have a class with him. I can ask him in two days when I have the class. And, uh, and so pretty, he'd be like, well, see if they can play. And so it went from him, like, like people calling me so I could tell them to call him right? to where he got, I think kind of irritated with the whole, like, who are these people calling me? Cause now I have to ask Fletcher about it to where he'd be like, just t- take me out of the loop. If you think people are going to come, just call me and tell me about the date. Right. And so it went from me kind of funneling stuff to me kind of finalizing stuff, uh. which was kind of cool. And then before I know it, <clears throat> I'm booking shows at the Antenna Club. See. And I start bringing bands from Little Rock over to open up because not, I mean, I'm from Little Rock and I want right. to represent, but it also keeps me kind of held harmless and, and, and they can't point fingers at me in terms of the local Memphis bands about who got to play the show. Nice. Like, so you, you know what? Y'all are all being stupid about it and nobody gets to play it. I'm going to get a band from another city. There you go. You know, and that way it also drew people from Little Rock to come to the Antenna Club because it's only two hours away. Yeah, it's super close. I go to shows in Memphis all the time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, still. And so once you realize that that stuff's going on and you're getting, you know, five or six people per car or who can uh-huh. drive and whatever and getting people to come over, it made sense to do shows with Substance and Fishwagon and and some of the Little Rock bands. Trusty, obviously. Trusty, there you it, go. It, you know, I, I did, uh, several shows were trusty. You know, Substance changed their name on stage. They were, they were, <laughs> they were called Buzz Factory. Their first couple of shows. Yeah, and I, and I put them on with Social Distortion at the at the Antenna, and they Whoa. literally came out on stage for a song and said, "Hey, you know, we're bu- we're uh, we're su-. they changed their name like on the mic right then, right before the first song." Wild, which was kind of cool. That is cool. Well, if you're gonna you know try to get the word out pre-internet, you know, a room with a right. few hundred people in it is a good start. Good start. And uh, yeah, so li- literally, I I started out doing shows as being the guy to call to tell you who to call. You like oddly fell backwards into being this promoter guy I had who no just intention. was you. You were just a middle ground man for yeah. a little bit. I was doing and, I was doing Tim a favor by yeah. telling people he knew who to call. Isn't that something? And then the next thing I know, I'm I'm like being told, well, then you know, can you call them and find out, and can you, you know, blah blah blah, and, yeah. and just well, tell them to just tell them to send that shit to your house, you know, talking about the, the package the with packages, the, yeah. all the stuff and the posters and press kits, yeah, yeah. Back when I mean, back when people sent stuff through the mail, yeah, everything's electronic now. Yeah, the EPK. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, the first time I saw that, I was like, oh, this is, wait, no, this is actually kind of cool. I just have to click the thing. I don't have to pull out the CD and check out all the art. It's all just right here in a single or, link. Or the worst part is you get that press kit from the band who, who's like somebody's dad's a, a, a lawyer or something. So you get the legal binder with like two strings and two, oh two buttons. And it's like, how do I get this open? This <laughs> yeah. is a, it's a fucking monkey puzzle. I don't know how to get this open. I had a friend of mine tell me that, uh, my, my, uh, I'm sure Aaron Hurley. Oh yeah. He, uh, he was mentoring me for a little while. Cause I was always, I was like, 
you know, young and trying to pick his brain. And you have to. And uh, he goes, "Listen, man, you see this?" And he holds up a press kit, a, <laughs> a, a real one, and he throws it in the garbage. I don't even know who that is, but it looks like shit. I'm not going to waste my time on that. Right. And then he picks up another one that's on his desk. You see, you see this? And this band had this laminated, almost like a menu. Mm-hmm. And you opened up like a trifold and the CD was in the middle on a piece of cork. And they had the des- artwork was designed around the CD. He was like, this I like. This I'm going to listen to. Yep. This, I'm going to probably get these guys down here. Because this shows me that they give a fuck. Oh, yeah. And I was like, oh, okay. It is. It, 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 it's the little things you hear about things being a game of inches, right? Man, if there's like six inches of string around a legal button thing and I can't get it open, and then I'm just I'm just going to put it to the side and right. go to the one that I can open up and pop the you know cassette into the boombox because it was that long ago. Yeah, we yeah. listen to cassettes in yeah. boomboxes <laughs> and, and writing it down on a giant legal pad. You know, this is the band. This is where they're from. This is what they sound like. And can I do anything with it? And I had just legal pad after legal pad of, of bet, band stuff. Whereas now it's all like clickety clackety click, you know, just tapping yeah. on a keyboard yeah. and, and point and click. Wouldn't Staring at a screen for five hours doing the. Oh uh, my god, I couldn't. I couldn't imagine. Uh, yeah, nowadays it's it's even harder too because how do you make an EPK stand out? <laughs> right. You know. Yeah, you have to catch their attention with that somehow. That, yeah, that that is going to be the trick, and you could use one of those like things where they think it's going to be a puppy, but it's a screaming devil face <laughs> yeah. or something. Yeah. That might just make them, you know, have to go to the bathroom or just memes because everybody likes a good meme now, right? Just meme your EPK out. Just be like, oh, here's a thing, and you click on it, and then it opens up. I mean, there's a so many uh, there's so many avenues now, but you're so if you're living in Memphis, and then. What was the, what did you just want to go out to California or? Um, I, uh, I got married to a woman who was, uh, she's seven years older than myself. Okay. And she already, she had her master's from Columbia and she's teaching college and she, she owned the art gallery that was next to Vino's, which is now the brewery. Yeah. Cause way back when it was square one art gallery. Right. Well, I'm at Vino's. She owns this art gallery. Obviously we, we, we come across each other several times and, uh, we wind up, uh, falling in love and all that right. stuff. And, uh. She is just trying to figure out like how to make the most money and have the most time off to paint. She's a painter. Fair enough. And so she's like, you know, flipping through the big book, like what's the highest paying PhD you can get? (laughs) Because they don't offer a PhD in fine arts. So she's flipping through the book. She's like, education. Okay. Hmm. I'm going to go get one of those. So she decides she's going to get a PhD in education. Wow. Well, as she starts sending out different applications to the different schools around the country that she's interested in. She gets a phone call from Dr. James Catterall at UCLA, who's in charge of the imagination project, which is funded by Kodak and Polaroid. And it's, there's all this like arts and education stuff going on because of Bill Clinton being in office. Right. Well, all the education guys like from the sixties, you know, the people who are all deans at all the colleges and Berkeley and all that stuff, they, they don't know squat about art. They're the, they're the education gurus. Right. Well, now Clinton is, is mandating arts in education. And my ex-wife, uh, Karen's resume and application, everything was was just picture-perfect tailored for that. She didn't even know that. Well, he calls her up, and he's like, I want you to come out here. I'm going to put you on my team, you, you know, yada, 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 scholarship, work-study, wow. job, this, that, and the other. And she basically turns to me one day and is like, you want to go to the – move to the center of the music business? And I was like, well, okay. <laughs> yeah. Sure, why not? And uh, so, boom, there I am. I'm, I'm in Los Angeles, and – I'd, I'd done the Antenna Club in Memphis. I'd done Vino's in Little Rock. And like the one thing that I always had to take with me that I always tell people is the guy that taught me the business, Steve McGee from the Antenna Club. The first thing he said was, you can't 
you can't book your record collection. Nobody gives a shit about your record collection. No, because it's yours. It's yours. Exactly. Those are your records. That's what you care about. If you're going to be in this business, you can't book your record collection. You've got to figure out how to separate them from their money based on their scary black T-shirt and their bumper Uh, sticker and their record collection that you have not seen. Right. It's like, wow, okay. So That's good advice, man. Well, and so many times in my life, I've had people say things to me like, guys, these guys suck. Why yeah. did you book them? I'm like, because there's 350 people in there at 12 there. bucks a head jumping up and down. There you go. And I don't care if they suck or not. I don't even know if they do or not. Right. Who, who am I to say? Yeah, I haven't even gotten to that part in my thinking. Well, I'm just Because all those people don't seem to think so too, yeah. right? And this yeah. th- tonight, you know what? That's for them. Exactly. I'm just, you know, if I can walk back there and their eyes are popping and their jaws are dropping, I did my job right. Boom. I don't have to have that record in my collection right. in order to feel good about myself. And Making tonight. other people happy. Right. Yeah. And then and when it's all said and done and the smoke clears and you're peeling off, you know, $20 bills and going, wow, this, this did all right. People <laughs> yeah. like that band. So actually, you know, cool guy, you're kind of the odd man out mm-hmm. <laughs> because everybody in there doesn't think they suck. You're standing outside, you know, on the sidewalk talking to me, talking about how they suck. That's right. <laughs> I've been on both sides of that coin. I was that guy and then I learned my lesson and now I'm just like, you know, if it's not for me, I'm not going to shit on it. But it, clearly they have a, an audience. Well, and after time, you start to be able to differentiate and, and, and appreciate the subtle things that make certain bands within certain genres the bands that they are and why they separate from the pack, you know, whether it's, you know, they have a, an amazing guitar player, an amazing drummer, the guy writes great lyrics, whatever it is. Right. You just know there's something about them that's a little bit different. And people could go, Oh my God, that's just, that's just awful. And it, it could be like, you know, immortal or, or emperor, some, you know, old, old school black metal. And you can go, well, yeah, I mean, it's not really awful. It's not my thing, and I can't listen to it recreationally, but right. actually, it's really fucking good for what they're supposed to be doing. Right. Which is kind of what led me into managing bands. When I, when I was looking up and looking around and going, well, they're, I, don't, I don't care what they do on Sunday or who's God, if any, they kneel or bow or pray to or whatever, but the living sacrifice is as good as any of these bands out oh, here man. doing this stuff that I've seen. Yeah. And I'm living in Los Angeles and I've seen these bands and, and these guys are just as good. And so it, it kind of turned into, you know, being in the right place at the right time by virtue of the, the wife, you know, kind of moving me out to LA right. and I, and I kind of kicked around for a little while and I saw an ad in the LA weekly that was like, you know, Doug Weston's Troubadour is looking for a talent buyer. Oh. And I'm like, God, you wouldn't even think a place like that would have to advertise. That's you wouldn't the, think. It's one of the most famous clubs in the history of rock and roll. Yeah. Uh, uh, and yeah. I mean, in, 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 the new, in the new Elton John, uh, the movie, The Rocket Man, there. there's, uh, you know, scenes from the Troubadour. Wow. It's, he, plays, he played his first American dates there, which, which when I went and applied for the job, uh, or I applied over the fax machine back when people faxed <laughs> fax stuff, <laughs> right? Nice. <laughs> I faxed my resume. But when I went for the interview, there's a giant banner across the top of the club talking that celebrating his very first dates because it was the anniversary of God. And that's that many zillion years ago. And it was considered the anniversary of his first American shows really that he had played, you know, and he did him at the Troubadour. And I'd known, I'd known the Troubadour as a, as a, a famous club, you know, right up there with the whiskey and the Roxy and all that kind of oh, stuff. Oh man! In fact, the first, the first weekend I was in Los Angeles, when I moved there, I went to the Troubadour on the guest list to go see, Life of Agony and Carcass, because wow. I, I had just done typo negative at Vino's right before I moved out of town. 
And, and it was with the same agent. Oh, okay. And he was like, okay. hey, you, so you, you're going to be in L.A.? Well, you know, I got so-and-so and so-and-so. And I'm like, God, you know, I'm a huge fan. So, and he put me on the guest list. And being on the guest list at the Troubadour, I got the pass that let me into the loft, which is like the, the room with the smoked you know, uh, <laughs> right. win- window. Yeah. And it's got, it's got its own bar in it and they're piping in the music off the board and they got monitors and leather couches and you, you, you can, you can sit on a leather couch with your drink in your hand and watch the show on the TV at the, on. at the club where the band's playing. This is right out the window. Yeah, they're like <laughs> 20 feet down from you below playing. And but you, you're fancy. You yeah, but, you but you're fancy. Your yeah. You're sitting down below the window <laughs> holding your drink, looking up at a TV, That's... watching. And so I, I knew that the troubadour was cool. That's badass, man. <laughs> and they're like, you know, they're they're taking just blind applications for something like this. That blew me away. So that I was is like, well, kind of mind blowing, even for the time. Yeah, like I know I, paper was a big deal, but oh yeah, I had nothing to lose. So I thought, well, you know, I could, I could not send it in, all right, or and never know, or I could send it in, and you know, who knows? I send it in and literally, or fax it in, and literally. Within a couple of hours, I get a, I get a phone call from Lance Hupp, who was the AAA talent, the adult album alternative buyer for the Troubadour. They had, okay. they had different talent buyers for different stuff. Right. And they were looking for an alternative buyer. Oh. And my resume had enough stuff on it from my past that, you know, between Nirvana and Green Day and everybody who helped push that stuff above the radar, the, the show's... That I had the bands that I had done shows with in my past were now the bands that everybody was trying to do shows with, oh, because okay. now Hole and Green Day and stuff right. like that—they're all getting massive. It, it's huge, yeah. And so my resume looks as good as a lot of people's. And the one thing that worked in my favor is that I wasn't some LA guy already jaded and right, and that everybody knew who had an opinion about and all that stuff. So he calls me in, interviews me, gives me the job. That's so cool. Man. All of a sudden, boom, I've got keys to the, the Troubadour. That's so fucking <laughs> cool, man. And I'm like 26, 27 years old. What? At the time. And have keys to the to the Troubadour. And immediately, because I'm the new guy at the Troubadour, and the Troubadour, Troubadour has such a place in how things work in the live music scene out there, all of a sudden, there's people that I never even thought about trying to know or talk to or become acquainted with because they are so big and... Right. You know, monolithically, you know, yeah. That and now they're wanting to buy me a drink, and they're wanting to talk to me because they need me. Whoa! Because I what ha- a strange feeling that must have been. Oh, dude, I had just it was probably two or three weeks into the tenure when we have a show coming up with Sleater Kenny, oh. and they were the big buzz, huge giant mm-hmm. indie. And everybody and their dog, and particularly the females, you know, because of that angle, were trying to get in. And I mean, I took phone calls from, you know, Exane Cervinka and Courtney Love and Elise Morissette and all Dude. these people that week. Well, then we turn around about two weeks after that and we do Radio Heads, only, only West, well, actually, it was their only club show. It was the Saturday before the Tuesday that, Ra- uh, that OK Computer came out. What? And they came over to the States and they did, they did, um, the Beastie Boys Free Tibet under the Brooklyn Bridge concert in New York. Okay. They flew to Los Angeles and played the uh, K-Rock Weenie Roast at the Universal Amphitheater. And then they did a, a club show for 450 tickets at the Troubadour. Two weeks before? Uh, uh, two, uh, okay. three, three or four days. Three or four days before OK Computer. Yeah, it was the Saturday before the Tuesday that that Holy record dropped. Shit. I remember I remember getting the press the press kit uh, from them and everything. Press kit. From <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> 
it was uh, like whatever Capitol Records or whoever sent sent over, and it was a uh, it was like a Sony Walkman mm-hmm. that was somehow it had a copy of the of the record on cassette in it. Had it sealed up. Probably. Had it sealed up in such a way Whoa. you could not get it out. So you're not going to be able to record it for anybody, right. or take it home and play they it. Knew. Or yeah, it's like you can play it through this. That's you, it. You can plug headphones into it and play it through this. You couldn't even play it out. Like if you had there was you know it wasn't there there was no line out left right stereo. Holy crap! You could only put on headphones and listen to the record. And of course, <sighs> I had heard it because <laughs> I, I listened to it. And to be in in a, in a position like that where all of a sudden everybody. I mean, everybody, because when the bins came out, it was a little bit of a commercial flop, but it took about a year and a half after the bins came out, people realized what a brilliant record it was. Right. And everybody in the music industry realized what a brilliant record it was. And Radiohead was was beyond uh, buzzworthy at that at that yeah, time. Yeah. And to show you like the 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 paradox and the and the the weirdness of 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 the Los Angeles music community, when it came time for that show to come around, everybody's trying to get on the guest list. There's only 450 bodies are going to be allowed. Right. It's the first time I first time I ever show a promoter uh, saw a promoter scout tickets to his own show because we had partnered with, <laughs> we had partnered with Golden Voice uh, promoters. It was a it was a, a co present with Golden Voice. They were the like all ages kind of promoter out in Los Angeles. Probably still are. But they, I mean, I literally walked around the corner of Santa Monica and Doheny and saw guys who work for Golden Voice selling their scalping tickets. their own tickets to their own show because it was the kind of thing where you're paying so much money to have it and it's so cutthroat of a okay, business out there right. you'll take a loss on the show to get the credit for doing it right like, like look we'll we'll lose five hundred dollars at the door because yep. we'll make it up at the bar clout or, or, counts or out there too oh yeah 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 i don't we'll lose a thousand dollars at the door but everybody in town's going to be talking and That's walking right. and writing about this particular thing and it'll pay off some other way well with radiohead everybody's trying to get into the show. And so we're taking phone calls and putting people on hold and grabbing like the Polestar record company things and flipping through like, okay. Cause like the phone call would be like, hi, this is so-and-so from so-and-so's office calling for so-and-so God. about, so, you know, <laughs> yeah. such and such. Like, okay, hang on and put them on hold and flip through the magazine. Be like, okay. Uh, oh my God. No, 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 no. They manage uh, Van Halen. They manage oh, this. Shit. They manage that. They you know, they, you know, it's, it's, it's Rob McDermott from concrete, which has uh, <laughs> Rob, Rob zombie and typo yeah. negative and Lincoln park and, uh, and all this stuff. And so we were literally having to like, what can you do for, for us? Like, I can't just put you on the guest list because we're bros and I know you right. and, and I always do. And it's never been a problem before. This is, this is different. But the, the one that really stuck out was the mighty, mighty boss tones. Who are from the other side of the country. Okay. They have a huge record out at the time. They can get in, but Fishbone, who's from Los Angeles, <laughs> does not have a big record out at the time. Oh, okay. Can't. It's like yeah. Fishbone has sold this room out more times <laughs> than the Bostones have actually played the city, but they can't get on the list to come see the show. Well, that town kind of works on what are you doing for me now? Oh, yeah. yeah. Here's the best one. John Stewart. What? Yeah. <laughs> Very topical right now because of what he just did in front right, of Congress. Right, yeah. He had, the John Stewart show was about a year old. Maybe it might have been in the middle of its first year. Yeah, John Stewart didn't get in. What? John Stewart from the John Stewart show. <laughs> you know, it's named after him. Yeah, yeah. I I have my own. Sh- perhaps you've seen it. It's on television. I have my own show. Right? There's my name. And I'm a huge <laughs> fan of it because I had seen Quicksand on the John Stewart show. Right. He he was having bands on his show that made sense to me, and I have to take a phone call. And wow. tell John Stewart from the John Stewart show he can't 
I can't, I can't help you. Sorry. Got to pay like everybody else. No, you can't. Because there's, yeah, there's no way. It's oh. you can't pay. I, I can't. I can't even put it's you on the so list. So crazy. Yeah, yeah. That was crazy. That's that's kind of when it really hit me, like what I was doing and the level that I was doing it at. Man, you know, because I'm going to go to that Radiohead show. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and my uh, my wife had like just graduated. She she went through the the PhD program at UCLA in record time, like set a record and how quick she went through it. And her graduation was that that Saturday afternoon. Jesus. And then that night, you know, I'm standing next to her in the loft watching radio. watching Radiohead cuz I can't be down there on the floor with all those people. No. I'm up here with the beautiful people. Fancy. Yeah, yeah cuz yeah. this the, the door to this room is like right next to the door to my office. So I'm, you know, I'm I'm fancy. And I look up at one <laughs> at one point I, and I turn to my wife to say something except it's not her. She she had gone to the bathroom yeah. or something. And it's you and McGregor from Train Spotting, which Holy is which is just just made this big splash. And I look at him and I'm like, and, and, and he like looks at me and smiles because I'm like staring at him going, you're not my wife. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and, I, and, I, and so I, I turn to my right naturally because you do that look around thing. Yeah. And when I turn to my right, it's Alanis Morissette who's, who, who, who's, who smiles and taps me on the shoulder because we had had a moment at the Sleater Kinney show a few weeks earlier. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. It was wow for sure. Oh my God. <laughs> But that that kind of just took it to that that totally different level where it's like I'm I'm I got to learn like some business <laughs> yeah. parts of this because yeah. you know there's there's ways to be nice and there's ways to you know tactfully say no and politely decline and all that sort of stuff but you got to know when and where to do that sort of thing when yeah. to, when to shut up you know when to talk when to listen you know yeah and then there's like that uh, try not to be jaded aspect of that whole industry too oh yeah which and we all get to at some point sure which that was the thing that worked in my favor of getting that job in the first place is I wasn't some I mean, dude literally said that I wasn't some jaded LA guy that had already been through the ringer and, and yep. spit out I've, I have I went through my jaded time already thankfully it happened somewhat younger you know, like my way. late 20s I got it out of the way and now I'm just like man I just want to do stuff and if everybody else wants to do stuff, I'll try my best to lift all that up too. And right. we're just all in this together, really, you know, beefing it out and being pissed off is only going to make it worse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Know? It makes lots of things worse. Yeah. The shows go worse. People don't give a, you know, people aren't showing up. They're like, yep, fuck it. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, we, you know, in the, well, I mean, I know you know, but you know, we we're just now coming out of that uh, uh, massive slump. I feel like with the local music and scene here, where it's finally starting to rise up, local bands are pulling shows that are just almost unheard of at this point. Used to when I was young, that was like every every other night, you know, numbers, big numbers. Oh yeah, and then it went down to. I don't care how good you were. There was 15 people in the room. Yeah. It'll, it'll ebb and flow with the age of the band and their peer group. And like, mm -hmm. like, you, like you said, when you're promoting to your everybody in high school and it can be, it can be a, a, a different animal uh, in that respect. You know, people say, why, why do you book that band? Well, they draw 300 people. Right. And that allows me to pay for a show with a band that I need to pay for a show with. You know, I need, I mean, I think of like a, a perfect example is like a Wednesday night. I had Broken Legacy, you know, from around the Pine Bluff area, open up for Lamb of God. Whoa. On a, like a $5 ticket. It was the first time Lamb of God came into the market. Yeah. 
I knew who they were because it's, it was my job to know who they were. And I, the agent they're working with is is huge, and they're going to be huge, and everybody is on the same page that mm-hmm. in this much time, this band's going to be the next Slayer. And it's like, okay, well, but nobody knows in Little Rock, Arkansas. Yeah. Not right now, anyway. Not on a Wednesday night. So i got to figure out a way to f- get some people in the room. Right. Well, Broken Legacy, who did not sound like Lamb of God, but was heavy enough that I could sort of get away with it. Yeah. You know, those guys did me a huge solid and came up and opened up for, you know, this out-of-town band on a Wednesday night, whatever. And there were maybe 80, 80, 90 people there. Next time Lamb of God comes through, it's, you know, it's just stupid. Yeah. Stupid. It's sold out, oversold. Oh, Love yeah. the oversold shows. You just know it. Yeah, I don't know if I've ever had a sellout. <laughs> Not sure what, what exactly that is. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, there's room in the uh, brewery. Yeah. Standing there. <laughs> go back. You go stand by your car. You can, yeah, hear, yeah, you can yeah. hear it from there. I'll open up the side doors. You, we'll you can the see side it. Door, yeah. You can see it from across the street. Yeah. You can uh, over there in the theater parking lot. You can just listen from there. Those are only $5 tickets over there. <laughs> no, there were nights like that where I literally, I, 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 I cut the door off when the last person who paid and got their hands was still standing there, was standing in front of you. Yeah. Where it's like, you can't walk past me. Crap. This yeah. is pr- they'll probably have to call it. Because <laughs> yeah. I can't take money from people I can't see behind, <laughs> yeah. behind you in the yeah. other room. I mean, I could. I could go in there and start taking money. <laughs> but that wouldn't have been right. Yeah, those poor. I've seen that uh, story of the year was like that. Because they popped, but they still had the date. You know how many people paid for that show? I don't. Whoa. Yeah. I hey, knew it was stupid. That's but- paid. So figure there were four bands on that bill. There were guests. Yeah. There were staff. Yeah. yeah. I was there. It was probably like people. <laughs> oh my God. And you know, that room doesn't hold that. Oh no. God. I no. mean, we took the video games out. We took the everything. chairs, the table, everything and made it a ceiling, a floor and, and That's two it. walls. Just two walls. Yeah. And put that many people in that room. It was, it was the night we thought we would find a dead body. I can't believe no one passed out. We, we figured so whenever, when everybody left, we'd find somebody crumpled up and stuffed up in you one of those subs this, or something. There was steam in oh, the yeah. room. Like oh, there yeah. was literal, like it was almost forming a fucking rainstorm in there. It was so incredibly humid. I remember you did this. You hold, you were hold up like this and then the crowd would move and you would move away. And you're like, oh shit. Oh shit. And I remember just looking at my friend Jana who was with me and we were just laughing like, right. This doesn't make any sense. And you can't drop anything on the floor because you'll never, you'll never get down <sighs> you never to get it. get it back. You'll never be able to bend over to get it. Yeah. And there's the beauty in, in shows like that is, you know, obviously if nobody dies, that's good, but there's never going to be a fight because nobody has enough room. Right. Nobody's oh, no. going to be able to, you know, turn their rotator over and <laughs> crank one at someone else because you can't raise your arms above your chest. <laughs> you couldn't even crowd surf. It was, you were stuck. You were in there, you found your little hole and that was it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, it was a, an interesting night. We really did think we'd find a dead body that night. Uh, I was actually surprised that no one passed out from heat exhaustion. And that was a weeknight too. I know. That's crazy. Yeah. It's like a Tuesday or Wednesday night. I bring that show up all the time. Cause like this, they were in that weird moment where Page Avenue popped, but they still were touring like a smaller band. It was like that weird transition because the very next time I saw them was at the fucking Altel Arena. With Hoobastank and POD. And, yeah. Yeah. And it was mind boggling. Like just a year ago, yeah. I saw you at Vino's. And they weren't even the headliner that night. I know. There was Sugar Cult. Yeah. But Story of the Year had just hit the radio. Bigger yeah. than bigger than shit. So, you know, and then of course you got uh, the Chris Shiflett from, was it Jackson? The, the or, or uh, no, not Chris Shiflett. The other guy from the Foo Fighters. Doug, oh, uh, 
damn, what's his name? Uh, his brother was in Face to Face. Yeah. But he's a, he has his band Jackson, so they're on the bill. So you've got, you know, members of the Foo Fighters, along with Sugar Cult, Story of the Year, and then Dreamfast is a local. Pat Smear? No, not Ramey Pat. Ramey Jaffe? No, 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 no. Pat was in The Germs. That's it. That's who I was thinking of. Was it this guy? Here? No, he was in Scream. Well, I Franz and Pete Stahl. Oh, that's right. There it is right there. Scream. It's, um, wait, wait, members, da, 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 Taylor Hall, it's Chris Shiflett. Chris Shiflett. Yeah, I was right. Okay. But yeah, so, you know, we got members of the Foo Fighters, get the band that's on the radio, we got Sugar Cult, probably their third time in the market, had been yeah. just building and building, and then a good local with Dreamfast, and on a weeknight at, I don't know, 10 advance, 12 at the door. I think that's right, yeah. It was, whew, yeah. I'll never forget it, man. I actually bought the some merch i had it for years and years it's in a box somewhere but i just remember it was like a uh like a 12 by 12 of the page avenue cover and i bought it at that show and i'm just like every time i pull it out and i had it signed you know of course because it was just like the most mesmerizing night of all time and i was just like dude i'm never gonna i'm never gonna lose this it's somewhere in this room (laughs) probably over there under that in that crate i'm never gonna lose it it's somewhere (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's in my house. I have I have all these things that I just like. I've been I I mean, you see the walls. I slowly like find the little keepers, and I just stick them up there. I got a few decent ones. I gotta add some more. Like I got my every time I die set list. That's such a good band. Oh, dude, they're my. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't I don't represent often. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but you know, I, I I try to pick them and choose them. It, that's one of those bands I just. I think they were operating on a different level. You know, there's some bands that don't ever get the the credit that they deserve because of the, you know, guilty by association or or whatever. And they were they were part of that hot topicization of rock and roll and the black fingernail yeah. polished crowd and everything, but they were never they were never one of those bands. Nope. They just they kicked way too much ass. If you I mean they're they're walk down riffing kind of stuff. It's like and it took me a while before I realized like, wait a minute, why do couple of guys in the bands have black flag tattoos. Duh. Fuck. Yep. They sound like black. That's exactly what yep. it is. It's black flag. They're like the new embodiment of punk rock. It's oh, so man. weird. Like, and I, I think also their work ethic is insane. Oh yeah. I watched, uh, in like Oh four, they were playing warp tour. I think it was the Oh four was either Oh four Oh six. Uh, Jordan, the guitar player was the head of their fan club. And he was in every time I die walking around, handing out flyers, then he goes and plays the show. Oh, yeah. And then he's the guy on the mic after the show announcing that they're having a, a, signing, a signing. Yeah, yeah. And like, dude, they just, they worked so hard and they would print out cards and just hand them to people. And people already know who fucking every time I die is at this point, but they're still just hustling hard. Sure. And, and after the show. Yeah. Like as people are going to their cars. Yeah. He's standing out there handing stuff to people who are walking to their cars going, Hey, thanks for coming out tonight. You yep. know, and, and all that. If you watch the, uh, sounds of the underground DVD, there's, there's, there's stuff of where Jordan's out there handing, handing out the flyers and everything. And at a certain point he's like, all right, you know, uh, thanks for coming out. Uh, see you at warp tour. And people go, huh? <laughs> <laughs> he like slides it in, in the middle of this whole thing. And he's also the same guy that like, would just like scream slayer across a, a, a crowded field of people and watch heads pop up like meerkats, you know, You'd pop their heads up. Like what? Slayer? What? Where's Slayer? Who's Slayer? Me, me and my old, my old buddy, uh, Chris, uh, a lot of folks know him as, as devil man. He used to do the, the metal machine radio show on, okay. on 88, which I believe is the most popular radio show in the history of the Arkansas department of corrections. He, the mail he used to get is just ridiculously creepy. <laughs> what? 
Oh yeah, you know the guys. You know it's lights out, and all I have is the metal oh, machine. Oh, true. You yeah, know, to listen to. Yeah, he he got some pretty creepy mail. That's disturbing. But we we went to we went to Ozfest in Chicago. Would have been maybe two thousand four, two thousand five, something like that. Hell yeah! Like I mean, this one Black Sabbath. Uh, well, obviously they Black Sabbath, but uh, Iron Maiden. Oh, okay. And they were only playing the first four records, stuff off the first four records. Iron Maiden supporting Black Sabbath. I mean, like Shadows Fall, In Flames, Mastodon, mm-hmm. that, 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 that year. And we went to like the food court during, it was like the set by the band who won the contest on VH1 band. Okay. Like I did a show with them at Vino's and can't even remember their, their name because they yeah. were such a we won a contest type band. And makes perfect. In fact, sense. I even had to tell one of them that to his face, like you know, get your shit straight, man. You want you were on TV. Yeah, that's all. That's Nobody, nobody's here because they like your band. They're here because they saw you on TV. Yep. And he kind of got a little bit more humble. But we we're at the food court while they're playing because they were awful. <laughs> and they, they, it was like them and Wicked Wisdom, which were just awful. Mm-hmm. You know, Jada Pinkett Smith's band. Yeah. Uh, which was really kind of funny because you could see. At that particular show, I guess maybe because it was Chicago, Will Smith was on the side of the stage, and, and me and Devilman had we had the hookup because we're both in the business at the time, so we have the passes and we're we can go anywhere we want. Right. So we're on the side of the stage and we're watching Will Smith jump up and down like he's likes it, like he's into it, like they're good, you know. Yeah. And and this was the year all the Scandinavian bands were on the tour. It was like Soil Work, The Haunted, and Flames, Arch Enemy. Okay. All those bands are there. And all these dudes are standing like behind Will Smith with their arms crossed, just looking like big giant Viking dudes. Yeah. And they're all subtly elbowing each other and and, and smiling, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know. And at one point, one of one of them even does his imitation of jumping up and down like Will Smith was jumping up and down oh to his old ladies' God, band. Dude, they were terrible, terrible. So, but we're we're sitting all that stuff out. We're over in the food court, and and I'm like, man, how much longer do we have? Because we're waiting for them to open up the main amphitheater. Because all the sides band stuff was out on the blacktop, right? And they're about to open up the main the main amphitheater, and we're gonna go in there and get seats. And we're sitting there. It's like, how much longer do we have to wait? And Chris looks at me and he starts to smile, this evil, you know, Cheshire Cat kind of smile, and he goes, "I don't know, man, but we better hurry or we're gonna miss Slayer." <laughs> <laughs> and literally, like all around us, like piles of garbage poof up into the air, and people <laughs> pop out of it, you know, like they're coming yeah. out of the ground. And they're and they're smacking each other in the face, going, "Come on, dumbass, you gonna miss Slayer?" <laughs> yeah. And they all take off running, <laughs> which is like brings me back to the whole you know Jordan Buckley thing. It's right. Like, you know, you just you just yell Slayer, and you get a response. You really do. You can just at, at any metal show, you can just and someone's gonna huh? Somebody mentioned mentioned Slayer. Oh yeah, and Slayer's that band that you know you want to you want to open for because you love them and you want to play to that many people, but you don't want to open for because you're going to walk out there and go, "Hey, thanks a lot." We're, and before you even say the name of your band, they're going to go, "Fuck you, yeah, Slayer." That's it. <laughs> yeah, when they came with uh, it was a Slipknot down at the riverfront, mm-hmm. I was like, "This doesn't make any sense at all." Why is Slayer opening for Slipknot? They were supporting them. <laughs> I mean, it just. What was? I don't know. Something fall. Oh, the little the little power cord thing. That's the first time that's happened. Is does the distortion pedal? Is it plugged into my mic? No, no. I wish that's actually a noise compressor. That'd be kind of cool. A friend of mine brought over. I still need to put it in my pedal chain, but I'm a late. I'm not lazy. I actually just have a thousand things to do all the time. I just thought but, you know I could cause I could tune my voice to drop D and then. You know, <laughs> my name is Roger. Right. This is my story. <laughs> 
no, but I actually got to play with every time and I once. And that was, that's also in my list of achievements uh, up in Fort Smith, the, the Stone Pony. They're just on a different level. And, 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 and level. I don't know if it's because Keith was, you know, teaching English to high school kids when they decided to go full time with the band or what. But I mean, his, his, his lyrics are on a different level. The band operates on a different level. They're just. Yeah. I'm and, actually, and, we're it, doing a cover set. And we're oh, doing yeah. an ETID cover set with a bunch of other bands that are doing cover bands. And I'm like, okay, well. Is this for that Halloween thing? Yeah. Oh, cool. And I'm like, okay, so I have to I have to get this shit down. Goose, I don't know how they've done it. Probably just because of who they are. But they've had like six of the best drummers in the world. Right. Of all fucking time. These guys are insane. They gotta be. Magicians. So I'm sitting here like, okay, how am I going to do this? Because I'm not them. And I would never... Uh, I'm not their caliber of drumming. So it's like, okay, let me, I'm, so I'm listening through all these songs and I start hearing these things I've never heard. A lot of their stuff's in, like timing wise is in four, mm-hmm. but the drummers put stuff in like four, but they have parts in thirds. Right. It's the strangest combination. And the way they just, you part, 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 but you're not getting transitions. Mm-mm. It's just parts. And the yeah. way they flow and now that I'm starting to break down their songs because we have this thing we're doing coming up, it is like, now I get the structure. That's what's, I think that's the most appealing part that I never even paid attention to. Yeah, there's that. They're, they're doing a, a, a walk down thing. Yeah. But they're doing it. And, it, and it's not like Candiria, who's like all jazz syncopated, yes. where, where each four beat measure is different. Yep. They're... They're taking it a little longer and then pulling it back, shortening it, pulling it back and yeah. taking it a little longer. And it's like the part is all one part, but it had four parts in that part. Yes. It's insane. Yeah. Now that I'm starting to break it apart, I was having my uh, my friend Justin, he's the biggest every time I die fan in the world, I think. And he was like, yeah, yeah. And so I'm like, well, why didn't you tell me that shit? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know how to explain it. Yeah, I know. I knew it was cool, but. Dude, and. I'm going to have such a hard time, but I think I've got, I've got four songs down now. So I just got to form like four more, uh, decaying with the boys. Oh yeah. That opening sequence is, I mean, probably my favorite of all of their opening sequences. Uh, werewolf, mm-hmm. uh, Roman holiday and map change. Werewolf. Is that, um, <coughs> is that your only living? So you're ready to die. Yeah. Yeah. The most Southern metal song of all time. I think, <laughs> Next yeah. to Maylene's Tough as John Jacobs oh, for man. me. God, I love that band. God. Uh, yeah. How, uh, what, what's up with Dallas? Is he alive? Is he? He's alive, man. But, you know, hanging on. He's still that wreck. He had a four-wheeler accident yeah. and just yeah. like ripped his face off and it just Ugh. disgusting. Yeah. The the doctor's telling me he shouldn't even be alive, but he's slowly recovering, but I don't think he's ever going to, I don't yeah. think we're ever going to see it again. I just thought it was one of the most punk rock things possible to walk away from Under Oath as they started to sell 20,000 records a week. They had to. I mean, they were on the whatever stage of the Warp Tour and they go from selling 20,000 records a year yep. to 20,000 a week. Yeah. And like out of the blue, I get a phone call from uh, the the girl at Flower Booking who. There you, you go. Know, Flower f- Booking. And, and at the time, Flower was doing like, you know, Super Chunk and the Archers of Loaf. And they were doing a lot of like, you know, indie, too, indie, right? indie rock and stuff. But a lot, a lot of just like what would be called like college rock. Mm. They weren't doing mm-hmm. anything heavy. Under Oath was really literally the first heavy thing they took on. And I was like, what, what, Suzanne, why, <laughs> really? Under, the same Under Oath? Is yeah. There's not some other band called Under Oath? But, the de- uh, Cause they were death metal first. Oh yeah. They were speed. Mm. 
uh, and then, and then they weren't, and it is kind of weird that whole transition they had, and then they get became you know gold record selling. Oh yeah, and under you're, oath. you're only only chasing safety. Really, I mean that just took it to a different <clears throat> different place, whole another level. I remember watching the first time they came through here and being one of those haters like, "It's not Dallas, I don't like it." And Spencer's up there doing his best, and nobody came out because they were all, you know. Fuck this band too, and yeah. Then the very next time I saw him, dude, it was they like, it. <laughs> oh, it was it was the best because they were still. I got to, for myself being that Under Oath is one of my favorite bands of all time. Uh, I got to see the only tour where Spencer had to do songs from Changing of Times, Acts of Depression. You know, he was trying to do those Dallas Taylor songs, yeah, because the other stuff they were still writing. Sure, they barely had any of it. And the album was so far from coming out. It was a whole nother year till the album came out. Yeah. And then he had his own style and then define the great line and so on and so forth. But, uh, I just, now I wish I wouldn't have been so mad when I was there because that's <laughs> so I could have enjoyed the uniqueness of that. I like the way you said it. I wish I hadn't have been so mad. <laughs> yeah, you can't get the, can't take that back. But I went because under oath for myself was one of those first, ba- it was living sacrifice. Zayo, uh, Under Oath, Embodiment, Logic 34, all those bands were like the first things I was injected with. You got to listen to this. And I think Sacrifice and Zayo were the first two I ever heard that weren't like Corn, Lint Biscuit, right? You know, Bone Thugs and Harmony. That was my top go tos back then before that. And then I just fell in love. And then it was from that. Watched Under Oath play with Dallas a few times. Just, I didn't think songs could sound that way. Right. Hanging from the rafters and shit because right. he was crazy as a loon. Yeah, he was. <coughs> I guess he still is. <laughs> yeah, I would assume so. I, he, I mean, I don't think he can see very well anymore, but I, I feel so sorry for him. Yeah, that's terrible. Yeah. That's funny you mentioned Living Sac- Sacrifice and Zayo because it's probably, it's probably the first two bands I managed. Yeah. What was that like? I wanted to ask because, um, I mean, it was. I mean, I, at the time they were God tier. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I remember I I started managing Living Sacrifice because I was just in a position where I felt like I could help some friends of mine that deserved it because they were just as good as anybody else out there doing that stuff. Right. And I just felt like I could, you know, somehow get them a leg up in the general market and secular music and stuff. You know, I got them hooked up with Bay Ridge Talent, which at the time was booking Cannibal Corpse and Six Feet Under and King Diamond and Hatebreed. And yeah. I mean, they were the New York City tough guy, yeah. technical metal, whatever it was, uh, agency. And it, it took me forever to get them, to get them with them because, uh, those guys had never heard of a Christian sound scan. They just thought uh-huh. that sound scan was sound scan. Right. And I'm talking to John Finberg, the agent. And I'm like, you know, it's a guy I've been doing shows with for years. I'm telling him, look, you need to take this band on that I'm managing. They're, they're, they're making noise. They're selling records. And he's like, well, send me a sound scan or, or uh, no, he said, I'll pull a sound scan. So he pulls it. He calls me back and he's like, you guys have sold like, I'm like, no, pull a Christian sound scan. He goes, huh? A what? And I'm like, <laughs> go back, pull a Christian sound. He calls me back about 30 minutes later. He goes, I think we might have something here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like you guys have so actually sold like 30,000 records and not three. Yeah. It's like, yeah, yeah. The other 20, the 27 of them were at Mardell, you know, but yeah, they've sold records. Man. And, and it was, it was funny that, it then became this interesting equation of like my, the band I'm managing will put money in your band's pocket. 
you know, I'm having conversations with, you know, like Gunther Davis at World Management, who, who managed Lamb of God and Morbid Angel and oh, Mayhem yeah. and all this stuff. And it's like, you know, you've done this many people in this town every time. Well, my band does this many people in that town at the same ticket price. None of the people who come to see my band are going to come see your band. Yeah. They, don't, they don't give a shit about your band. Yeah. They don't, they haven't heard any of the Morbid Angel albums and they don't, and they're not gonna, but they will pay $15 to come watch my Just band open up for Morbid yeah. Angel. And you know, and they, then they, also they, Morbid Angels fans, Morbid Angels fans, they'll, they'll dig it. Right. They'll, they'll, they'll like it. And, it, and ironically enough, like Morbid it. Angel and Trey, whatever his name is, the drummer, they, they were the one band that did not, see it that way in terms of just because they're Christian. Oh yeah. So so we wound up doing a tour with Nile and, and some playing some dates with Cannibal Corpse instead. And those people got it right away. Yeah. It's like, wow, there's like, you know, we usually do like four hundred people here and there's seven hundred and fifty people here tonight. We don't yes. have we don't have a new record out. What's up? Well, those are three hundred and fifty brand new faces. Yep. They don't they don't know your band and they don't care about your band. That came for this band. And I'd be sitting in the merch booth next to the Nile guy or the Cannibal Corpse guy, and you're like, "Wow, y'all sure are doing good tonight." <laughs> you know, I've got a, I've got a line as far as you can see of yep. kids buying stuff, and he's you know he's standing up every now and then thinking he's going to sell them something. It's like, no, that's just somebody standing next to the person that I'm selling something to. Man, so you were in on the ground floor of that whole wave. Oh yeah, because what came after those days were was insane. I mean, it defined underground music for a solid decade. Oh yeah, and, and the way that the the tooth and nail and solid state bands and of of that genre were able to kind of raise it up, whether it's uh, Devil Wears Prada, August Burns Red, right. any of that stuff, it all of a sudden was just taken and and treated differently. I mean, when when Jamie Jester wore a Living Sacrifice shirt on the cover of Metal Maniacs, yeah. it was like, yeah. whoa, yeah, making all the noise. Oh yeah, and they did so many things, <clears throat> and I remember. Uh, the early days, like nobody, nobody, like I saw Beloved with 15 people. Oh, it's such a good band. At the front line, Michael's place mm -hmm. on university. And then the very next time they come through there, it's sadly, it's their going away tour. Yep. But Vino's is packed front to back. Everyone's singing every word mm -hmm. uh, to, to both albums, the running and failure on. And it's just like, oh, and now it, it's just, uh what a, what a wild time and to I, get. I, I remember kind of not, I won't say not being as, as as accepting or as open to it, but I'm I'm managing Living Sacrifice, and Bruce just keeps trying to tell me about this band Zayo. Right. And I and, and I'm you know, I'm not to poo poo it or anything, but I'm just like thinking at the time like yeah yeah yeah, you know of, of course you're excited about this band, you're producing their record, you want me to hear yep. it, of course you do. Well, that was right down here in Benton, right? Well, they were doing that? They did it with Barry Pointer uh, at Pointer's Place. Pointer's Place, okay. Uh, which I guess was in Hillcrest at the time, or Stiff Station. Okay. But, you know, I'm thinking, you know, well, sure you want me to hear it. You know, yeah. it's, it's kind of like, you know, the you drew something at school and you want to put it on the refrigerator. You know, you're, prou you're, you're proud yep. of it. And then I remember <laughs> after the record comes out, I remember listening to it and I remember being so incredibly irritated and pissed off that I had not heard this band yet <laughs> yeah. and that no one had brought this to my attention <laughs> and no one had, had, had made sure that I was aware of how good this shit was. Yeah. Because I remember I, I just got back to Memphis from Los Angeles, like in 98 
and playing that record in, in front of, you know, like the guys that went on to be in Primer 55 and Saliva and bands like that. Yeah. And, and they were just like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Yeah. And I'm like, I know, right? And so I had to quickly get on board with, with, with those guys and try and, you know, between Zeo and Living Sacrifice, it kind of helped me do the band managing kind of thing along with the promoting kind of thing. Well, I also assume the stories I hear about Zayo, they were slightly volatile. Um, that's uh, a good word. Dysfunctional is, yeah. you know, probably the, the flagship word for that band. I mean, yeah. they, I mean, they are literally out there playing now with no original members. I know. It's so weird. you can, you can always, uh, but they came back with original members, right? Like wasn't their return? Didn't they bring somebody back? I mean, I, I can't I, remember actually. I mean, I know Russ is back. Russ. That's it. He's, but he's not original though. I don't. I don't think so. I don't think so. If you look at Splinter Shards: The Birth of Separation, that first record, yeah, I don't think any of those guys are playing. You know, yeah. and, and once you lost Jesse Smith, you did that. Yeah, Zale. he was Zale. He was the. He was my point of contact for managing the band, for dealing with the band. But he's also the same person who sent me, uh, dear John. Uh, we're firing you, fax <laughs> fax machine. You okay. Know? They still owe me five hundred dollars, Jesse. Hey, Jesse, you're listening. <laughs> if, you're up, out, if you're out there, <laughs> people don't forget. What was funny is he came through on some show, like playing support or something. And I told, uh, I told Samantha, like when you, when you settled with the band, like look Jesse right now and tell him that you gave the money to me because <laughs> I told you it was cool because he, you know, <laughs> just to, just to, yeah. you know, rile him up a little just bit. Just to set him off, uh, <laughs> Mr. Temper. Right. Uh, and my favorite, actually, I think the first song I ever heard from them was Five Year Winter. Still my favorite song. Sayo is my God, man. Their live shows and they would cover that ACDC song too. Mm -hmm. Holy shit. They used to play here like every other week, it felt like sometimes. Them and Haste the Day. I don't know what was going on, but it felt like Haste the Day, which which ironically enough is probably the best like Zayo sounding yep. after Zayo, like the, the first band that yep. came up going, we want to sound like that. And they sure did. Maybe, maybe even a little bit better. With some records. Yeah, I'm not a huge fan of some of it, but the early from Pressure of the Hinges backwards, I like all of it. The one with that creepy girl face yes. on the front. God, that one. That's a wild record, man. The one that opens up. Dun, 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 yeah, yeah, dun, yeah. And it still has the uh, still has uh, it's got Blue Forty Two <laughs> and Substance and some of that That's stuff at the end. Blue Forty Two, man. Ugh, that's so kick ass. <laughs> Do you have any do you have any points to like what was like the I'm not I don't know I'm really not sure how to say it but like what what is something that stands out to you as like something uh like that you brought here that was just like you maybe was like uh you know we'll we'll see how this goes that just like is like this defining moment of mm. like your career here in Arkansas. I know, I know in LA, clearly you'd already told that story. That is mind boggling. But I was thinking like, what was that? What was that same thing? But here, the one, the, the one that really kind of blew my mind that, that made me even do it like a double take about what had just happened was when we brought, we brought 1400 people to the river market to see Fugazi. Badass. You know, I'd, I'd done Fugazi at the new Daisy theater long time ago before I moved out to LA and that was sure. a that was a thousand people but that was Memphis and that was then and right but you know trying to figure out where to do them in Little Rock 
Did you do it at the Belvedere or where was that? We did it in the actual River Market Pavilions. Oh, in the pavilion. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. We uh, closed the drapes you uh-huh. know, all the way around yep. and put up the bicycle barricade stuff mm-hmm. and made a little route into it and 1,400 people. Wow. And this is, I mean, this is 2001. Oh, wow. Two th- I mean, like where they heard about the show, how they found out about it, it just amazes me, but it always has. There's, there's certain bands out there like, like fish, you yeah, know, or, yeah. or, or Fugazi that you can literally just, you know, whisper like Fugazi Friday, April the 20th. <laughs> and somehow people show up. Yeah. They show up and they did that night, 1400 of them. And, and this is when the river market is, I mean, it's not quite the river market yet. It's, right. No, it's, it's still, trying, it's trying to find itself and be this place that people can come. When and they do. were rebranding it when they first started. Yeah. yeah. It's not they, downtown Little Rock anymore. The river walk barely existed. It was yep. like that one spot near the amphitheater. Right. Which used to have the tents. Right. Yeah. And little nipples. If you're flying <laughs> yeah, in, you look yeah. down and you go, what is that? <laughs> There's titties down there. Exactly. The that's, yeah. that's what it looked like. That and, and <laughs> the ones over the university mall. Oh, yeah, same yeah. thing. Midtown I bet the nipples. same guy probably was involved in that. Right. Somebody and then would, paid. <laughs> and then they would, I remember going to shows at the thing when they had, the, and the drummer's just getting soaked. Oh, yeah. Because he sat right under the opening crown of those two mm-hmm. tents and just like, well, that you're ruining all the money. The most expensive thing on that stage is right there. But that's how people treat drummers, you know? That's true. Drummers aren't musicians, they're friends of musicians. <laughs> I'm glad I play guitar too. <laughs> right. But I think, I think, I think 1400 people in the river market for Fugazi was just like, holy shit. That's insane. Like, wow. We I did. Was, I did. I worked Skrillex there and I don't think there was that many no. people there. That's a lot of damn people in that pavilion at that time. Yeah. For this particular kind of band, this is, we're talking about a band that no radio play. No video. No, no. No yeah. uh, stack of merchandise at the mall. No, I mean, like, you know. Yeah, no YouTube, nothing, because the internet barely exists. Yeah. No, no, I mean, you either knew who Fugazi was or you didn't. And like right. I say, you just whisper that they're going to play a show, and people show up. They, they figure it out. And they sure, certainly did that night. And, you know, the the Little Rock City Convention Bureau, Park and Recreation, all those people that governed uh-huh. us, they just were in love with us. Oh, really? Oh, well, you brought 1,400 people, yeah. And all those people had to park and pay to park and, and uh, find something to eat and drink waiting in line. Yep. And everybody got patronized, and all the all the restaurants on the street were just overwhelmed and, you know, record nights of food and drink, and they didn't they weren't expecting it. And, That's awesome. Yeah, they just thought we were just so great, and it felt like we had we – had, I felt like I had done something that impacted not just, you know, the kid who never thought he would see those people in his town, right. you know, 10 feet away on stage, but – Everybody. Everything. Everybody made money that night. That's the thing about shows. They're economy boosters. Like, Oh, yeah. You know, one band comes through, 400 people are downtown at the Rev Room. They all got to do something. Oh, yeah. Because they're all going to get there slightly early. They're paying to park. Again, and Gus's is right there now. Oh, yeah. And then you got Sticky's right down the street. So you have all these delicious food options, not to oh, mention yeah. the pizza and all that stuff. And I think what well, damn good pies has a, a spot right oh, yeah. there now. They're right, right there I by mean, Sonny Williams. So like endless possibilities, delicious. Yeah. And then you get to catch a band and then buy a couple beers, have good fun with your friends. Yep. Exactly. And, and before, you know, I'd, 
I'd known there was like, you know, an impact I was making on the Vino's front register where, okay, I can do the math. Let's say 400 kids came in here tonight. So let's right. lowball it and say only 75 of them bought a slice and a soft drink. Yeah. Well, just run that, run those numbers right there. Run five bucks times 75. There you go. You know? And so there was a little bit of an impact and this wouldn't have, I mean, it would have been a good Tuesday night, but this was a great Tuesday night. Right. And when I first moved back and started doing shows, the, the staff at Vino's was a little resistant because they were used to, you know, doing their thing the way they did it. And it's Tuesday night. We close at 10. Yeah. We do last call at 10. Except then I move back in town and it's like 10 o'clock and there's 300 people in the back. There you go. Well, good luck trying to close, <laughs> yeah, you know, and get so Yeah, go ahead and try and get them out of here yeah. while the band's on stage. Well, they benefit also from nothing else is around them. When you go to Vino's as a one-stop shop, yep. unless you want to get some art supplies next door right, now, right. you know, at the art place. But, or, a, or a rubber butt or something at the place. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Twisted entertainment, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or a tattoo at 7th Street right. or get your belly button pierced in the... All your belly button and rubber butt needs are met. <laughs> yeah. Come to Vino's. <laughs> right. It's weird as hell down here. <laughs> and they had, they had rubber butts in every color. Dude. No matter that, what kind of butt you need a color in, they have it. I've only been in that room twice, and both times I was like, oh, yeah. This is why I didn't come back. To, like, this place I remember is this so place. weird. <laughs> Woo. How much for the rubber butt? Yeah, it's uh, $2,700. Jesus <laughs> Christ. <laughs> but, uh, so how, how long did you did you work at Vino's? I would like... um, Like... In the early 90s for a few years, mm-hmm. and then I went out to L.A. from like 94 to 98, and then Memphis, 98, 2000, and came back in 2000 to Little Rock to do the, you know, buy a house, have a baby, right, right, all that right. kind of stuff. And uh, I think I was out of there around 2007, 2008. Okay. When I was done. Hand, right. Handed it off. Handed it off to uh, Sam and mm-hmm. and uh, Haley. and Absolutely. Yeah. And then... Yeah, yeah, that yeah, that makes sense because uh, that's about when I came in late '99, so that would make sense because we didn't play shows in '99. Clearly, we were just a new band, and I was still being in awe of all these other bands. And oh my god, whoa, you know. But that's I, but that's good because so many bands come in and they're not right. You know, they come in and they're like, man, blah, 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 my guitar <laughs> player can do that. And yeah, we can do this, and we have this kind of gear, and then you watch them not know how to set it up, and they ask for everything in the monitor. <laughs> I keep telling people, man, that shit matters. Pay attention to how you're setting it up. Oh, yeah. You know, it's, it's psychological. People don't understand why they think you look like shit. They don't they can't put a thing to it, but subconsciously they know because guess what? They've also seen fucking Van Halen and Led Zeppelin and all these other bands, or even you know, modern ones with Under Oath and Every Time I Die, that it looks like that on purpose. Yeah. You know, that's not just for the sake of ease. That's a a psychological there's thing. a fun- functionality to yeah it. well and it just looks way more professional you know when when you got the guys the guitar players on each end and their amps are facing each other and and the drummers backwards and it's <laughs> right <laughs> and some people do that on purpose i actually watched a band I mean, you probably booked them it was with uh travail and uh, was a few left standing from memphis maybe the drummer played backwards yes. and it had stuff written on it himself that's and, it yeah yeah those guys were great yeah that was a wild show, man. Yeah, those guys were really good. The uh, trio, whoa, you know Jeremiah and uh, some people. They, they put uh, they put their seven inch out. The butterfly effect or bullet wound of not oh, crap. I've got it at home. <laughs> 
actually have the Travail CD right there. Man, Travail was such a good band. I always always like Dwayne, the bass player. Yeah. He just like he just didn't seem like he was the guy in that band. <laughs> yeah. You know, you'd be talking to him and hanging out and stuff, and like, oh yeah, I forgot you're in this band. Yeah, yeah. Kind of like the guy who has the voice that shouldn't come out of him. Yeah. You're yeah. like, wait, uh, that's strange. Okay. Well, he always sounded like Tommy Chong to me. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. I don't know, man. Yeah, they were all super cool though. Oh yeah. I remember that was right when Guitar Center opened up too. It was like the first week, I think, that Guitar Center had opened in Little Rock. And I only remember because the drummer had bought this that bag of sticks was like their original deal. It was like $12 for 20 pairs of sticks, and he broke every fucking one of them. And at the end of the night, there was just this litter of sticks on stage. And, yep. you know, as he, like they exploded. Yeah, literally, because they were just garbage made of probably pine. But uh, that was that was a that was a great night, too. And, and like, thing, you know, in, in the same spirit of, of those days in those bands, uh, uh, Spoken has a show coming up, don't they? Yes, with. Uh, oh, shit. Sam's going to kill me. Uh. Oh, uh, crazy town. Crazy town. Thank you. I was thinking butterfly or something. <laughs> crazy town. Yeah. They have, they have a show coming up with sugar baby. <laughs> that's what I was, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> that I'm actually going to go to, but to see spoken, not. Is it still spoken? Is it, is Matt still singing? Is it still like that? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know, but you know, I guess you have to go to find out. Yeah. Uh, you know, show up. I, I can't remember what the tickets are. What, uh, are you still booking any of all these days? Not at all. Not at all. Out of the game, huh? I got more interested in what my daughter was into at Fair. a certain point where it's like, you know, I was much more interested in going to see Disney princesses on ice right. than I was to go see hate breed. Right. <laughs> you know, like I've seen hate breed 12 times. I haven't <laughs> seen the Disney princesses on ice. Right. Well, actually I have, but I haven't seen them with my daughter. So I'm going to go, you know, and I have noticed something too. All my friends have kids. I'm childless, but it is more exciting when they're excited. Oh yeah. Cause you're like, kind of like, like, Oh, so it kind of makes me appreciate. Like sometimes I harp on my friends, like that's fucking stupid. Cause I, I don't have kids and they're like, I'm going to whatever. And I'm just, I'm just giving I'm gonna them go shit. See the wiggles. Yeah. And I'm like, have fun, you know, like uh -huh. all sarcastically, but I get like, I'm not, they're not going to see the wiggle. They're going to watch their kid experience the wiggle. Absolutely. And that's the joy, the enjoyment. And it's hard to explain it to people that, that either don't have kids or haven't ever been in, in a position where they that's that's their mo and that's where they draw their pleasure from because it goes hand in hand with what i was saying earlier about like my my whole thing what what you know pump my nads was walking into the room and seeing everybody's jaw drop yeah. and eyes pop and go wow so i did it right i knew this was gonna i knew this that they would be in awe that's so and, awesome. and so i i knew i got it right well with my with my daughter it was the same thing like watching her eyes pop and watching her jaw drop and watching her be amazed and, yeah. and, and, and enthralled and get, and get drawn into and be a part of something. And, uh, my, like, for instance, the, the girl that I'm dating right now, um, she's ex Pentecostal. She's got an interesting backstory. Uh, that's a wild one. And, and she's, I mean, she's never been out of the state. She's never been on a plane. She's never, I mean, I could, I could go on and on and make you a list of things she's never done. Oh, but so she's getting so, some new stuff too. And so I, I've, I've been with her for her. Like I took her to the whitewater tavern for her first like bar band thing. <laughs> yeah. And I took her to Dugan's one Sunday brunch to watch Chelsea play soccer. And she could have like for her first bloody Mary. And I took her, you know, and, and like one night I watched her watch the exorcist. There you go. Cause she'd never seen the exorcist, wow. which to this day, even if you've seen it, it still, it still, still holds up. Yeah. <laughs> But to watch somebody watch the exorcist who had no idea what was about to happen, 
that was that was so much better than The Exorcist, right? To me, that's awesome. So yeah. I, I, I kind of, I'm, I'm much more interested in watching the world react than I am in the world. I, that's a thousand percent fair. That's awesome, man. That is, I think that's a perfect place to end. That sounds good to me, Fletcher, man. Seriously, thank you so much. Absolutely, this, thank you. Look, I just got goosebumps. This really meant a lot. I'm so glad you came out. Um, Thank you for having me. I appreciate all the things you've ever done for me. You're welcome. Absolutely. <laughs> it taught me a lot. I still use those lessons. So just so Good. you know, Good. The, all that work went to something. And uh, everybody out there, I don't I don't guess, where, are you working at Stickies? Or? Mm, not, no, not in a while. Um, no. I am, uh, we'll just call it an unnamed uh, pizza place with a, okay. pa- with a patriotic theme. Okay. <laughs> well, there's a couple of them in town, so you can. Yeah, take, yeah. You know, we'll go if you see Fletcher and Poet, say hello. He's the best man. He taught me so much. And uh, again, uh, we're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Crashcast Pod, and on Twitter it's Crashcast Pod One. But I don't use it anyway, so it's kind of pointless to say it at this point. But everybody, thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.